0: Um, Okay, we're going to get started. So, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Leadership Conversation. That's not what this is called. (laughs) Welcome to the Learning Conversation. I am Matt Burr. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Nomadic Learning. Tim? Yes, I'm Tim Sasha, co-founder and uh, CEO of Nomadic Learning. So, yeah, every week or so, Tim and I get together to talk about some developments in the learning and development field uh, current news trends discussions and I think hopefully Tim this will be the last week that it's just you and I talking I think hopefully man. starting soon we're gonna have some guests yeah because um, it's gonna get I think our our audience numbers impressive as they were in our first week, we'll probably start to decline unless we get some uh, some more folks in here. But I think we can probably sustain one more week of you and I talking learning. So uh, at the beginning, we talk about some news and developments. We really just want to highlight something we've been paying attention to, not necessarily in the learning field Last the, that's happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, so Tim, you want to start us off and tell us about what we're going to talk about this morning yeah sure before we do that remember that
1: you can find more about nomadic
0: learning at
1: nomadiclearning.com uh be sure to check out our blog on nomadiclearning.com you could subscribe to that uh, and you can follow us on twitter i think the handles at nomadic learn um and you check us out on linkedin too there you go covering your social there social check marks there mate um, yeah, so I think the news, the main news item we want to talk about today is um, the acquisition of uh, Quartz by a Japanese business information company called Uzabase. I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce it, Uzabase. They're one of the most famous products, is a product called Newspix, which is also available in the US and Europe. Uh, is their more their global product. I think their their other product is a, um, a business information platform for analysts, which I think is mostly for their domestic market. Um, So we want to talk about news of that. And from that, I think what we're going to do is we're going to pivot into talking a little bit about a phenomenon that we've heard a lot about in articles, various... um, various events we go to, people talking about learning, and that's people talking about their product or a particular trend or a particular product as the Netflix of learning. Um, And we want to explore what that term kind of really means and why people use that term and I think why we think it's not the most helpful. So yeah, that's that's what we want to talk about today. Matt, you know Quartz pretty well. Do you want to kind of start with a bit of background on kind of what you know about them, their, their kind of history?
0: Yeah, yeah. So Quartz is, is an interesting business i mean up until it was sold recently it was a part of the atlantic media group and was in my mind one of the most successful kind of internal corporate innovation initiatives that i've ever seen and we we kind of watched it we knew some folks who moved over there at the very beginning and really given a huge degree of autonomy from from the rest of the uh, atlantic universe to kind of say if you were gonna start from ground zero to build a business media um, brand and, and site today, and what, what would that look like? And they really looked at it, the whole, the whole spectrum of what it means to deliver business news and information in this era of information saturation. So they did a couple, of, they, all, they started with some very innovative things. They had a very innovative approach to web design. It was truly responsive and mobile first. Um, they had a really kind of fast-moving editorial model where they were producing a lot of content every day. that was original content, interesting. They had an in, they developed very quickly an interesting voice and an interesting take on business issues. They did a lot of stuff interesting visually. They did they were early into infographics, um, and I think what was most impressive from our standpoint was how quickly they were able to build this a really good content operation where they started to they were you know taking market share and and getting a lot of attention in the business media space very very quickly primarily driven on the strength of the uniqueness of their voice the quality of the content the speed with which they got it out there Um, they built a good contributor network they had internal editorial and they also had you know a lot of writers writing from them externally but really they they made a counterintuitive bet on original content and you know an end-to-end content operation i guess from a revenue standpoint the other thing i'd say is they were really really forward-thinking and and innovative in the way they did branded uh sponsored content and they worked with brands to build editorial stuff so uh native content so just yeah, a great, a great example on all, on all fronts, and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from it. In part because th- when they did that, it was really, there was not a lot of room for content. Right, <laughs> right. Everybody was cutting newsrooms, laying off. Uh,
1: bureaus overseas no one was building a newsroom at that time everybody was aggregators
0: it's pretty unusual what they did yeah i mean they went all in on it they hired a lot of people like and and business news too at that time we were still coming out of the recession business news had kind of lost its footing a lot of the sort of dot-com publications that had thrived in the early 2000s had all died in the reset in the recession um and in the traditional publications like Forbes and Fortune were in the middle of very very painful reboots, and and it just seemed like there was not that much market for this. Um, and and you know here they were, and they came with something that that worked, uh, and it worked really much from day one. I I mean I remember when it launched, and I thought, wow, this is the. It became a daily part of my media diet in a way that nothing else had, just because they were. It was easy to find relevant, interesting stuff, um, and. I think the voice, I guess, is another thing. Is like mm. they, 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 they had a take on business that felt fresh and different. And I, I'm speaking about them in the past tense. That's not true. They, they are still around <laughs> and still so, operate as an independent company going forward. They're yes. not going to be
1: part of. Um, yeah, and I think the, the 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 voice thing. I was just thinking, kind of, because they launched in 2012, and I reckon Medium was roughly at the same time. I don't know, but I think it was probably the same time. But and I know Medium's more of a platform, but it, it, it's kind of two different approaches to the same challenge in some ways, like the changing face of the media world and and looking at different ways to uh, approach that industry and serve those customers. And I think that the voice one is very interesting because that's always where I think when you go that kind of route of purely contributors, even if they're carefully vetted as they were, and I think still are mostly in the medium model, you don't get that sense of like a trusted place where I go for a particular piece of news. You just don't have that with Medium. I mean, Medium's a little bit, I mean, obviously it's better than Facebook or whatever, but it, it is a little bit of that kind of echo chamber where you go and find stuff. You follow people you already like and you kind of follow things you already kind of are interested in. And it's interesting that quite a few publications move to purely publishing on uh, on uh, on medium didn't they um but it's still even those kind of brands within medium they lacked that very strong voice and very strong identity i think very strong innovation in the product as well when you're something like medium and you've got this platform that has to serve all these different interests you can't do things like quartz did they had that really interesting do you remember the um the daily app that they launched—it was kind of conversational. It mm. gave you kind of the news updates in sort of a combination, conversational, almost like a chat, uh, text message type format. Um, you know, Medium could never really do that kind of thing when you're serving so many different content providers on your platform. So that that focus on you know their own thing, their own voice, their own way of doing things really pushed them in many directions. You know, not just the content, but the way they could innovate on the product as well.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, and I think. Part of that voice thing is like the heritage that they got from Atlantic, right? They came from a, a media brand that they, they were born out of a media brand with, you know, 150 plus mm. years of history um, with a deep, deep kind of knowledge and respect for like the editorial process and, and all of that. So they brought that was in their DNA, I think, mm. from the beginning. I think other media startups... Have worked their way to that, you know, like BuzzFeed or whatever. But there was never like Quartz. Quartz from day one felt like they 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 got that from the Atlantic in a good way. And and yeah, I mean, it's just it's very rare that you see an old old line company like that being able to kind of inject the good parts of its DNA, but also not all the baggage that comes with that, and create true autonomy in space. You know, Quartz mm. Quartz was in New York. Atlantic is is. Is in DC, and they, so they, there was a physical separation. There was a really a, a whole new team, so it was interesting. I think that they got that balance right between what they inherited and what they needed to do. A lot of companies try that, and a lot of companies fail. I think that's a separate topic of like why the why these kind of like, yeah, we're coordinating off. You guys are truly your own startup inside the enterprise. That like ninety nine percent of those actually fail, probably because they're never actually they're really autonomous, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, right. So. Right. Um, so, kudos to Atlantic for, yeah, kudos for doing to
1: Atlantic. that. Um, mm. And one interesting thing that this raises, which I think kind of uh, helps us move on to talking about this idea of Netflix of learning, is that user base and Newspix, they are primarily platforms and aggregators. And what this does is it gives them a real editorial team and a real content production capability. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how they actually use that because so far they're saying that... Um, um, that Quartz is going to be entirely independent. I think somehow it will be baked into news picks. Obviously, that's the obvious place for it to sit. But I wonder how they might leverage more that newsroom capability that they now now have. But what do you think is why? Why do you think more platforms and um, aggregators are moving towards original production? We we see it with Netflix, who are now according to their. Uh, economists last week spending more than any network or film studio in history on original content production um, and I think we see it Apple has moved into they've got originals I can't remember exactly what they're called but they have their own TV shows that they're, they're, they're making um, and various other kind of content aspects of content that they're producing as well um, I think we see it across you know many different places so what what do you think is driving that why is content making that kind of comeback in
0: that world the simple answer as to like why why this focus on content is because creating good content is really hard, and the rewards are really big, you know. So like that that combination means um, if you can get it right, you can, can you can sustain and build audiences that are real, and you can build meaningful engagement with them over time, and they keep coming back, um, but. It's it's really hard to do well, and for companies that come out of a technology background or come out of other places, they're they're needing to buy their way into that capability because um, it's not just like you know finding really creative people. There's a whole, it's and I think this is why Quartz is an interesting lesson for us. It's like yeah, they had really creative writers, but but what they really did was they put the editorial process at the center of what they were doing and thinking about kind of a, a modernized mobile highly connected editorial process for, for bringing creative content to life is something that a lot of these companies just don't have in their DNA and Netflix didn't originally have in its DNA and it has, it's buying its way into that capability um, Apple is you know, way farther behind on that on the content side Um, And yeah, we'll talk about learning in a second. But the thing that's weird about talking about Netflix for learning is that that isn't really you don't see a similar thing happening with any of the big companies that call themselves Netflix for learning. They're not making investment in that area at all, um, which is why the metaphor sort of falls down. So but I do think that and all of that comes back, of course, to like attention you know the information overload short attention spans you're not you know there's just so much out there that you, everyone's competing against Game of Thrones and house of cards and whatever else is coming at the moment so if you're not if you're not producing content that's up to, at that quality you're not gonna producing or licensing it uh, you're not gonna survive you're not gonna get the the, the audience attention that you need to, to build and sustain long-term engagement with your platform so um, but do you think is that that's
1: the attention angler, is that why you think people use that term? Because that's not really what I understood it in terms of why people use that term. I think I, I think there is an element to to it in terms of, um, you know, they want to create, the, the, in learning, learning companies need to create experiences that are, you um, Often you hear in learning, you hear about consumer grade learning experiences or consumer grade user experiences where, you know, the user experience within the app or the platform or whatever it is you're using for learning is similar to that of Netflix or to to iTunes or whatever, Um, which to me is what people have always been getting at more than you're competing with, you know, this amazing content, Game of Thrones or whatever. And your learning has to be kind of, obviously, it can never be as engaging as learning, but it has to at least feel worthwhile. It has to feel like people are really uh, investing their time well when people have to feel like it's worth their time to spend with that piece of content or that learning platform. So I've always thought it's more on the kind of like, app, you know, the user interface side of it rather than on the actual content side of it.
0: Why people use that term yeah no 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 I agree I actually wasn't saying necessarily that's why they use the term I'm saying that's why people like Apple are investing in content because because they're in, they, you know or, or Netflix is spending so much money on it, it just more broadly that's the attention problem mm. I do think that applies somewhat to learning but in a different way but I do I think you're right I think when and I think this is what one of the things so we're going to as we talk about this thing Netflix, you know the net building the Netflix for learning which by the way I think people have been talking about the building the Netflix for learning for at least three, three or four or years. Yeah. yeah. And like it, it was Udemy was talking about it, and now it's Edcast is talking about it, and Degreed has probably talked about it at different times. And, you know, well, uh, whoever else. From what I can see, the, the kind of people who started using it originally were more
1: learning products for consumers. So, like mm. Skillshare, all that curious. Dot com one that we came across when we were researching this, um, and it's only more recently that it's become a term that enterprise learning products have kind of latched onto and said that you know either themselves we are the Netflix of learning, but also I've seen in many kind of um, thought leadership articles and stuff uh, people saying that learning providers need to develop a Netflix-like user experience or a Netflix-like model for their learning. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting that it started in that kind of consumer world, and now it's more recently moved into the uh, the, the B2B or
0: enterprise learning cycle. Right. And where it makes even less sense. <laughs> Probably, right? I mean, I think the, the but you got on something which is like, this is the thing that I think is most annoying to us about that, even about the concept or as something to aspire to is that when people say they're building the Netflix of learning, they aren't aren't talking about the actual business model or actually how Netflix is spending money or what they're doing. They're really talking about the user interface. They're talking about a scrolling page where you have kind of like boxes that represent particular pieces of content. And they're talking about personalization. They're talking about Netflix being able to recommend things to you based on things that you've seen before. So it's like at the level of user interface and personalization, but what happens in Netflix when you click on right. one of those boxes is a really good movie or TV show plays probably. And if, if you it, live in the US. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, their licensing's not so good. It's getting better. It's getting yeah. better. But uh, for a long time, yeah. it was
0: Actually, not true. Yeah, it's a lot of crap, right? But the point is, like, there's something that that was produced for a fair amount of money. There's like yeah. a serious thing definitely, behind it, definitely, uh, definitely. and and in the learning analogy, it ends at that point. It ends right before they actually click on wherever the box is, because in the learning analogy, it never takes you to something that's well produced or, or a good piece of content, yeah. and and none of the people claiming to be Netflix for learning are really spending any money, time, attention, or building. Resources to help improve that actual content that happens when you click on the box. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So, although, yeah, I mean, I think one, one thing, it's a little more than just interface. I think it's about, it, it's a little bit about the user experience in that. I think what they're getting at is choice as much as anything, right? I mean, personalization is slightly different to choice, right? I think personalization and learning is more about learning what people are good at or not so good at and using that to serve them, automatically serve them other pieces of content that relate to what they're interested in or what they're not so good at. I think what they're getting at with Netflix of learning, as much as anything, is choice. Like, you know, you can choose what you want to learn. Now, we can get into like the whole—if <laughs> uh, if that's even a good idea in itself. But I think it's—it's—it's it's, it's, yes, you can scroll, and it's yes, it's kind of a nice interface. But it's not just—it's not just learning, telling people you need to go and study this course or you need to go and do this e-learning course. It's the learning organization saying, "Here's all this stuff. You choose what you want to do." Now yeah again we can get into if that's even a good idea and it's certainly not a good idea if all that stuff under there is largely rubbish but it is quite a big shift that from like learning saying to people that you know you need to go to this course you need to do this program you need to do this e-learning thing and saying you know here's a platform where you can get all the learning
0: you need you go and choose what you want to learn right yeah no it's a huge no it is it's a big shift and I guess maybe our problem is then maybe that it's not exactly the wrong analogy. It's the the way the analogy is being used is incomplete. It's ignoring what Netflix is actually what what Netflix actually is and what they're having to do to compete, right? So,
1: why do you think about this? So, think about this. So, if learning, so say if a learning platform came along, it's got the it's got the user interface of a Netflix. It's got the choice of a Netflix, and underneath it is good content. Is that good? Is that a desirable product for learning? Is that like a
0: desirable objective or um, ideal for learning? I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> I guess the question is at that point, like, what about that makes that learning? Why is that different from like a really good news aggregator that's bringing great articles and content to you from media publications around business, around a wide variety of business topics? And and again, you know, we're really only talking about like adult learning in the enterprise business learning. So Yes. I, I'm like setting aside anything around K to 12 or higher ed. Um, I think the closer you actually get to that ideal, yeah, the more you're just a media company and not really a learning company, right? I mean, the, it's like, and this is where, I, ge- I mean, I guess unless like it's, it's all like kind of pedagogically oriented content where you're like learning specific skills. But then, yeah, I I don't know. It's really hard to imagine that, isn't it? Like an (laughs) actual, it's hard to imagine, like the more... Pick and choose, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because it becomes more entertainment. I mean, and and obviously something like reading The Economist is a form of educating yourself. And it is a type of learning, but not in the way that the kind of platform, these ed tech platforms are positioning themselves. They're not positioning themselves as simply like aggregators of media content. Um, So... Yeah, it's, it's a challenging question. And I think one of the big things that's obviously missing is, you know, other people. Uh, and, and we kind of hinted, started talking about that somewhat last week. and th- And this is really where the Netflix analogy starts to really fall apart, is that, you know, although you might, you know, you may... You, you, you may be watching Netflix with friends in a room or you may be Netflixing and chilling, as, as I think the young the young <laughs> ones say these days. <laughs> the kids uh, say, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, it is not an inherently social experience. Netflix is not really like – I do not connect with any of my friends around my Netflix viewing experience. There's not conversations moving around the content. You're not challenging each other to go deeper or think more or find connections. It's a passive – experience of consuming content Uh, and learning is not that good learning is never that you know good learning is always active it's it's involves you in kind of doing things testing you moving through things and most importantly finding other people who you're learning with who you're connecting with and learning learning from and being challenged Mm by so yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, it's, it's interesting because I was Googling a few
1: uh, articles on this as you were talking. And one of the first one that comes up is on personnel today. And it's actually from an executive from Skillsoft. Um, and the, the the kind of subheading here says, how e-learning platforms can use such consumer experiences to create a community of learners who keep coming back? It seems like, yeah, I mean, that, that idea of community around Netflix is there is no community around Netflix, none. It's it's completely absent. It's interesting that that's the kind of angle that they're trying to latch onto. Now, you know, I, I get the consumer experience side to it, but there seems to be a, I think from both sides, you, you touched on the other side to it before, there's this misunderstanding around community. Like Netflix is a bad analogy because there is no community there. And community, as we've spoken about in the previous podcast, and is kind of like central to nomadic, is kind of like a, a a core component of the of certain types of learning that that we that we do and we think is really important to the enterprise. Um, but you just also touched on the other other piece that everybody seems to be ignoring the fact that Netflix does create and is now creating really great content and huge amounts of it and investing heavily in it and that's where they see the future of their business. So it seems to be that those two core pillars one that's you know that that people are one one is being completely ignored in, in the analogy and one is uh, being kind of made up because it doesn't actually exist in, in netflix at all in, in terms of
0: community mm. um so yeah it seems like the netflix for learning is not a great analogy for anything but i mean the thing that i think is that there's a sort of interesting question of like why is it mm. so prevalent like why do so many different companies and, and and our clients too like why do people think they need that and i think it comes down to sort of like a general confusion about like where learning should be and what learning good learning should look like so that we're kind of grasping for analogies in adjacent spaces that don't really make sense so the the Netflix of learning is is more of a symptom of uh, our own confusion as a field about like where we should be innovating and what that should and could uh, could mm. look like. So,
1: Yeah, it's kind of like we, we know that we need to do something better. We know we need to create better user experiences, but it, it seems like it's just a, a quick grasp for the thing that is that everybody is using that is a nice consumer experience. But yeah, when you peel away the layers a little bit, there's not much relevance to learning at all. So if, um, you know, if Netflix is a bad analogy, you know, for a number of reasons that we've covered, you know, and it boils down to really a better user interface and perhaps an element of choice, which is debatable if that's even a desirable um, or at least the endless choice that you have. Netflix is a desirable thing for learning. So, you know, do you have any thoughts on what might be the analogy? What, what's a better analogy than
0: done that yeah i mean i think it's tricky but i think and i think it i don't think there is a single like consumer facing technology that encompasses the various things we need to do because we that dual that dual side of like learning content which is a unique type of content instructional content or learning content has it has a is a different thing it's not just about engagement uh it's about teaching people stuff which sometimes is sometimes has to be uncomfortable. (laughs) It's never always going to be just like an awesome feeling. It doesn't mean it has to be bad, but it does mean that like, you know, you can't really trust people all the time to just pick what they need to learn because if they already knew what they needed to learn, they wouldn't need to learn it. So there's this general problem there. And then the community side is kind of a different type of thing because the consumer analogies, even something like LinkedIn you know, in terms of thinking about social and community don't quite work for the learning space because these are big, broad, open communities. And that's where like the MOOCs have always had a really hard time because learning as when you're talking about learning in a community, it's always in a community that has boundaries that you know what they are and you have some sense of who it is you're learning with. And that identity as a group is, is really important. Even if the group is as large as, say, Your whole class at university, like your whole first year entering class, your freshman class, that's something of an identity. But more importantly is like the people in your in your study group or whatever like that. That's an that's a type of community that's very different from the models we've seen in consumer social media for the most part so they're not great analogies however if I was going to have to choose I would say and the reason why we started off this talking about Quartz is Quartz is a is a better content analogy actually than Netflix in a way because What Quartz did was kind of reimagine a particular type of content, which in this case was business media. They reimagined it as like shorter, punchier, a better voice, more mobile friendly, more interesting, more kind of opinionated and, and, uh, you know, they have real takes on issues and fast and agile, all of that. Like they built a whole editorial process around that. And I don't think that there is... Right now, like there are very, very few learning companies that have built a similar type of content production editorial process that is that level of agile, that is that, you know, really, truly mobile first that can move so fast and that has a real voice that feels authentic and feels, you know, like willing to call out BS, which there's a lot of in the business world when they hear it and so on. So like that's that's one side of it so quartz is a good analogy i think axios is another probably even has pushed the pushed it beyond where quartz is they have a they have a i think they they you know they have a better design and the content is even more well fit for kind of a mobile centric um fast moving world because it's they have a very well-structured approach to the way they produce content and they also, but they still have a very unique voice and so on. So I think those kind of companies, Vox maybe is sort of in there as well, uh, are are a better analogy from the content production side Uh, on the community and social side. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think we can learn a lot from things like WeChat. What's it called? WeChat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In a way, because, I mean, WeChat is a massive and complicated beast, right? But the one thing that is really interesting about WeChat is the way that small groups kind of form and interact with each other around particular issues. Now, these are more like issues in people's day-to-day lives or consumer questions or so on. But it is not, you know, WeChat emerged and has, you know, become dominant in China and now, dom- you know, is dominating in lots of markets outside of China precisely because they weren't as big and wide and open as, as things like Facebook and people could have what felt like a more intimate type of community uh, inside of it that was also beyond just one-on-one messaging. So I don't know. is the Like, I don't think you're going to get headlines for saying, like, let's build the WeChat slash Quartz for learning. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's definitely not as catchy as building the Netflix for learning. But I think it's closer to the reality of the kind of models that we need to be looking at and thinking about in the L&D world. Mm. I mean, Quartz does have some interesting things in it. Uh, you know, uh, um, kind of
1: communities within Quartz are around certain subject areas. Do you remember when they first launched, they had obsessions? I don't know if they still kind of really do that anymore. But are they... Um- they still have kind of like certain series that they'll focus on for a year so there's one about it's called how we'll win series um it's all about uh, gender equality and and uh, uh and and uh, the the um me too movement and that kind of thing um but you know that that's a, a particular um set of content that they're producing where there is a real community around it where you can sign up to it and they have actually live events around it as well as well as kind of the ability to kind of like obviously chat and connect with the people that who are also interested in that and sign up to that community so there is a layer there that's i don't think it's quite what we're looking at but there is there is a layer there too and i think also in some ways um medium perhaps has the better kind of community aspect of those kind of you know um, similar kind of media brands um, but it's still kind of it's, it's very much one way it's not the kind of two way um, community that w- we would want in, in learning and I think uh, yeah like the channels within Slack or groups within WeChat is a much better
0: analogy for the kind of communities you want to build. Slack is Slack is better than WeChat. You're right, but 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 the thing is, is nobody needs to build a Slack for learning. Slack can already be the Slack for learning, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it yeah. Well, and also, what would it take to make Slack actually function as a learning, uh, you know, as as a place where learning really happens? And the question that question always comes back to. A question of content and learning design and and kind of you know where the conversation starts slack might be where a conversation ends but mm. it can never it's never going to be where it starts it's like slack itself is not it doesn't allow you to actually create true learning experiences on its yeah, own I mean, it would be an interesting
1: so, experiment for us to break up a field manual break up a, a program that we've created and try and deliver it through slack channels with our teams or groups that would be you know that we would have Mm. within nomadic as channels within um within slack probably i think that's probably how you would do it right um but to see how would you deliver that content how would you get people through the content how would people interact with that content in the slack platform it would be an interesting experiment to see like where are the gaps where you know we've built everything as kind of Custom made for that content, right? So the platform and the content are kind of built together. The content's designed for the platform, the platform's designed for the content, and it's all designed for a group team based learning experience. Um, I wonder, yeah, how far can you go with that kind of Slack analogy? With, you know, we've got the great content. So if we put that content in Slack, I wonder how
0: much it would work. It'd be a very interesting experience. That's a great point. I mean, and I think we know, you and I both know that that would fail right i mean it just it's just not gonna work i don't know you reckon i don't know
1: i don't know think how much time we all spend on slack because that the biggest obstacle that we have is the initial attention right getting people into nomadic so that the biggest challenge we have is getting everybody to initially sign up and start looking at that content and one of the reasons is because nobody's on it right nobody it's not part of their daily workflow whereas for a company that's like us, that uses Slack as their destination for most of the work that they do, all the communication that goes on in the company. If if a company uses Slack in a similar way to the way we use Slack, I'm not sure. I, I don't know, actually. I, I, you certainly get over that biggest hurdle that we have of the initial attention and initial... Um, Initial engagement.
0: Yeah, but but the but the but the thing that you don't get is like what sustains that engagement over time. I mean, no, I look. I think you can spark great conversations on Slack. I think you could put a piece of content in, a, a challenging video or an article or something, and we do that. You know, that happens. But I think what hap- where it goes from there, does it build on itself? Like the, that kind of sense of like keeping people engaged through on a track of different types of content as a group over time. You know, for maybe. You know, hours, not not cum—not all together for hours at a time, but as, an, as each individual kind of moving through sequences of content that could take many hours. Um, there's no mm-hmm. way that Slack can sustain that. There's too many distractions. It's not, you know, it's not right. really designed for delivery of content experiences. There's not great ways to interact with polls or quizzes or, you know, there, I mean... There, there are all kinds of limitations that you start running into when you right. need to do more than... And I think maybe this this actually comes to an interesting point of like learning Learning is... And this, this is like a general flaw of like one piece of content followed by one piece of interaction then leading to something totally random for everyone else, which is what Netflix at its best would give you, right, is not... Good learning design. Any good learning designer knows that that is not going to do what you need in terms of, of, of achieving a particular outcome or changing behavior or teaching someone some complex idea or skill. That that, that takes reinforcement, it takes repetition, it takes you know like yeah, yeah, a, yeah a very particular type of movement through a series of experiences that need to be reinforced in particular ways, etc. But I think, your, I think your distraction point is the biggest flaw to the Slack. Like,
1: and I imagine myself, I get distracted from my work by Slack. I can't imagine how <laughs> distracted I would be from learning on Slack. I just I would have to mute every other channel. I'd probably have to have a separate Slack for it to be anywhere near useful. And then you kind of defeat the purpose of it as the destination because I'm having to go somewhere else. Because, you know, even though it's within Slack, I'm going to have to have a completely different, what they call it, workspaces, I think, is it, when it's completely separate in Slack? Right, um, right. For it to get anywhere close. And actually, I've had multiple workspaces, and I actually found that very challenging, actually. I, don't, it was, I didn't like it as a way. And I think, actually, Slacks, that's where they hit really hit the wall with enterprise, didn't they? With a kind of, it's okay as like a single instance of Slack within a company, but once you get multiple workspaces and people across workspaces, it really does start to, not be quite as an effective tool as it as it as it might be. Um, one last thing to say on this though is that my wife is actually doing a she's doing a uh, an online course at the moment that's entirely within WeChat, fully on WeChat. That's the mm. the mode of delivery. All the content is posted in their channel. All discussion happens within their channel. Um, they have a facilitator in their channel. They go and do group uh, live chats because you can do group face to you know um, uh, group FaceTime. Type things within WeChat as well. Um, you even pay for it because there's a payment system within WeChat as well. Everything is done. So it's an entire learning thing built within, built on uh, WeChat. And interestingly, not like built as an app within WeChat. It's just in WeChat. It's just they're using the various tools that are already in WeChat to deliver that entire end-to-end digital, purely digital learning experience. So,
0: so who's who's building the WeChat Quartz Slack? For net for learning, <laughs> that's our that's our conclusion, right?
1: Right. Well, I think I think we've concluded that the reason why people use Netflix for learning is because everything else is like there is no other clear analogy. I mean, you could have put, you could have said the Slack for learning, right? I mean, let's just pick one that means a nice user experience and choice. I suppose I don't, I'm not sure. You know, uh, they're all equally bad, and there isn't one nice clean analogy. But I still think that uh, Netflix for learning is not a tremendously useful thing yeah. for maybe learning in the yeah scene to be talking about maybe
0: if if we've done our job right sometime in the future netflix will be talking about building the uh, the nomadic for media <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah
0: just around the corner. Um, all right. So I think that's a good place to, uh, to wrap it up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, yeah, as, as Tim rightfully reminded us at the beginning, you can check us out at nomadiclearning.com. You can follow us on Twitter at, at nomadiclearn. And if you make it to nomadiclearning.com, please do check out our blog, which you can subscribe to there. Uh, in terms of podcast listeners, we are excited and open to suggestions about anything you'd like us to talk about. We have an email address set up for that purpose. It is podcast at nomadiclearning.com. So you can drop us an email, complaints, suggestions, uh, anything you'd like. All right. So thanks for listening and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Matt. All right, mate. Cheers. Eight. Cheers. Bye.